Welcome to the Plan Podcast. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm your host, Josh Codes, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andy IRL. Before we get into tonight's topic, a quick shameless plug, follow us on all our socials, at Pro-Life Advocacy Network on TikTok and Instagram, and at Pro-Life Team on X. Shoot us a DM if you have questions or show ideas, or if you'd like to be a guest on a future show. Also, join us on Rumble and subscribe on YouTube at Pro-Life Advocacy Network, where all of our episodes will be posted. And with that, let's get into it. Welcome to this episode of The Plan Podcast. I'm Josh Codes IRL. Tonight we're discussing the fallacies that generally come up in the abortion discussion. Before we get started, just a quick reminder to hit the notification bell, subscribe, and or follow wherever you're listening to us right now. Uh, and with that, let's go ahead and get started by introducing our guests. Hello, uh, my name is Evelyn. I go by Leftist Dropout on most social media. I'm on TikTok and Instagram the most. Um, I do live debates on TikTok as well as making um, pro-life anti-abortion content. Good evening. My name is uh, Arnold. I'm a pro-life debater on TikTok. Um, you can find me at Arnold Dodge One on TikTok. Uh, come watch me live. And I am Andy IRL, co-founder of Plan, co-host of the Plan Podcast. Find me on social media at Andy IRL Official. Fantastic. Thank you all, all so much for being here. Um, and let's go ahead and get started by asking first question. Uh, what are fallacies? Like, why are we like, what's so important about fallacies? And uh, what are they? And what are we? Why are we talking about them? What's so important about them? I just say it's, it's, uh, it tends to be a mistaken belief, um, or it's an unsound argument, um, like faulty reasoning, or it's misleading. There's going to be a ton of different things that go into uh, committing a fallacy. Um, but all of it's going to boil down to a, a failure in reasoning, which is going to render the argument um, invalid. What are some of the fallacies that you all see, uh, you know, in the in the discussions that you all have? Like what, like some examples maybe? Uh, the biggest one that I see is straw man fallacies. Um, I also see red herrings a lot. Those are very prominent. Um, ad hominem can also be pretty prominent, but I'd say honestly, above all, straw man fallacies are the ones that I encounter the most. Awesome. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think we also see a lot of appeals to legality, popularity, emotion. Um, there's a lot of different fallacies that we see from not only the pro-choice side, but the pro-life side as well. And that's why I think it's important for us to talk through some of these. Maybe we'll, we can give some examples of what we see from both sides in watching different debates so we can get a better understanding of when the other side is committing these fallacies and also to make sure that we don't ourselves commit these fallacies when we're having these discussions. So, Ev, did you want to just talk about maybe straw man a little bit? Why don't we just first off start by telling us what it is? Yeah, so a straw man fallacy is when someone is mischaracterizing your argument and um, basically creating a false argument and tackling that instead of, of, instead of tackling your actual argument. So um, an example would be maybe a pro-lifer says that, you know, I want to uh, make abortion illegal. I believe that fetuses should have the same rights as everybody else, blah, blah, blah. And then a pro-choicer comes at them and says something like, oh, so you don't value women auto women's autonomy and you just want to hurt women and you're just misogynistic. Um, this is a straw man. This is a more extreme version of a straw man. Um, there are more subtle ones that you can encounter as well. 
um, if someone asks you a question and you go to answer their question and then they just you know mischaracterize what you were saying and they don't actually attack what you were saying that's an example of a straw man um yeah yeah and from the pro-life side i see uh you know someone will come up from the pro-choice side and say you know i believe in access to abortion i believe someone should be allowed to choose you know, determinate their pregnancy if that's what they think is best for them. And our our reactions sometimes might be like, oh, like, why do you want to kill kids? Or you just want to you just want to be able to, you know, do whatever you want without having to worry about responsibility and and kind of talking about things like that when really that might not be their argument. Now, sometimes I think we say it just to kind of be funny. I mean, I do this myself. It's not a serious argument that I'm trying to make. But if I were trying to make that as my serious argument, that would 100% be a straw man fallacy. I, I tend to agree. Um, I think that I think that these tend to draw the debate on instead of forward. Um, I think they kind of leave them stagnant. And you could go back all day basically making versions of your opponent's argument and then exaggerating them. And it, it tends to lead the debates not forward, but just, just at a standstill. Yeah, yeah like, I think definitely it, you said the exaggeration part is really true. Um, a lot of times exaggerations can be forms of straw men. They're not always, but they can. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't do us much good to mischaracterize the other person's position um, because then we're arguing against ourselves or um, something that you know we made up. We're not actually arguing against their belief. So it really doesn't do either side any good when we present these straw man fallacies. Um, but Arnold, you said something about it kind of just drags out the conversation and that leads us kind of into probably the red herring fallacy, which is one that I see draws out the conversation all the time because it takes us down these different paths that really have nothing to do with the discussion. They are only slightly related to abortion um, or the topic that we're discussing at all. But people try to hone in and focus on these so much because you know, they think it might be easier to argue against this other topic. Um, so what are some maybe examples that you see with the red herring fallacies and how do we kind of combat that? Yeah, typically the, the biggest that I've seen is uh, shifting the conversation to the foster care system. Um, a lot of times I see it, it'll be a pro-choicer comes in and talks about the foster care systems and the, and the problem. Um, that is within the foster care system. And they'll try to try to steer the conversation um, into that realm, um, when in reality that it's not going to, to really answer the ethical question present in the abortion debate, right? That's going to be presented later. That's going to be after the child is already born. Um, as far as how we get out of that, I'd say just kind of make make it aware, like acknowledge and say, okay, well, the foster care system, this is going to be something that's independent um, from abortion. Um, and I, I don't think it needs to be talked about in depth. I think that everyone should be focused on fixing it, yes, but I think that in the ethicality of abortion, when we're talking about what's morally right, and what's morally wrong, um, presenting this just kind of drags on the conversation um, and steers it in a different direction, one that's not going to answer that pivotal question of uh, like ethicality. Yeah, definitely. Foster care is probably one of the biggest um, red herrings that people bring up in these discussions. It's always seems to be their go-to. It's probably something that we all typically agree on needs work. 
Um, and maybe that's why they go to it to begin with. Um, but yeah, we see it all the time. I also see when we people talk about um, free healthcare or access to healthcare or these other things, social programs, they try to bring these up as reasons to allow abortion when really, like you said, these don't attack the the morality or the ethicality of it. Um, yeah, it's just I think the, like... just leads us down these different paths that really are only slightly related, but have nothing to do with the topic itself. I think this is something I see a lot with um, on the pro-life side is that not that they really commit red herrings as much, but that they fall into the trap of red herrings very easily. So I think a good way to um, maybe be on the lookout for them is to really think about the question that you have asked or what you like the statement that you made or whatever that you that you have said and then analyze how the pro-choicer is responding to that because a lot of times we'll say you know just our basic statement we believe fetuses have human rights can't get abortions blah 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 they'll go okay yeah but what about the foster system right you have to and then we'll just kind of go oh well the foster system blah 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 like they're you know it's not the adoption system we'll go into that whole spiel which is fine i think it's okay to talk about it but i think that people get dragged into that and then you know like an hour two hours has gone by and you're still fighting over if the foster care system um, will be overwhelmed if the adoption system will be overwhelmed and we haven't like Arnold was saying we haven't actually gotten to the ethical debate of if abortion should be allowed yeah I, I I agree I think it just typically the conversation could go for hours and and we could I mean you could start an entire live and talk about the the issues with the foster care system and, and what we can do to fix them um, and then and then once we do fix them say and and hopefully we do um, and get these to be 100% fixed, the, the, the question isn't going away. The question remains unanswered. Um, and so that's why when you see the conversation steering in that direction, or that is going to be the response, um, I would just advise to, to just brief it for a second, explain to them as to why this isn't actually answering the substance of the debate. It's not answering the ethicality of it. You're just saying, well, what if in the, in, in the outcome of these situations? So I think, yes, it's important to talk about. I think it's important to raise awareness. I also think it's important to to bring it, to bring the debate back on track and be concise and clear with how you're explaining your, your message. Yeah, and that's probably one of the easiest ways for somebody to kind of pick up on when these fallacies are occurring. Um, like you said, if we were to fix all of these problems that people are bringing up, um, whether it's foster care, um, access to healthcare, any of those different things. If we fixed all of those problems and they weren't an issue anymore, it wouldn't change their position on abortion in, in most cases anyway. But either way, it still doesn't change the morality of the topic that we're talking about. And that's an easy way to kind of tell when these fallacies are occurring. When we're talking about foster care and like healthcare and, and the different social programs, those are definitely red herring fallacies because they're, they're topics that are only slightly related to the actual discussion. But they also bring us more to like the, uh, another fallacy, which is just the appeal to emotion. A lot of these things that pro-choicers bring up are just making, trying to get a, an emotional rise out of people and getting people to make a decision based on that emotion and not the logic and the reasoning behind what's actually being discussed. Yeah, I think, I think this is seen a lot um, from both sides. Right. I think that the the emotional pleading comes from both sides. Um, I can understand why it's present. Um, I can understand the feelings. The, the real big thing that it kind of tends to do is emotionally charge the debate um, or the conversation. 
Um, and so what you have is you end up having hurt feelings. Um, you know, you end up having like people getting stressed and then they're, they're starting to get mad, um, talk louder. And then once that starts in, everyone starts to start in. And then the conversation continues to go on for an hour like that with, with complete disarray. It seems like too, that a lot of times, most of the, most of these fallacies are kind of happening. You, you can have, you can have one that's happening and you can also have instances where they tie together or where they're connected either very closely or used almost in conjunction. So like red herring and emotional pleading. Would you say that that is a, something that maybe can cause difficulty for, uh, you know, the newer debater, newer person in the discussion to kind of catch on to? I think it's less difficult to recognize when they're occurring and maybe it's more difficult to recognize which exact one is happening if you're not really familiar with each of these fallacies. If somebody's bringing up foster care in the the context of an abortion debate, we all know that that's a fallacious argument. It has nothing to do with the abortion topic. You might not necessarily know which fallacy that falls under, but you know that it's a fallacious argument. Um, and then like to your second point, you're saying uh, a lot of these kind of lead into one another. I definitely agree with that. Like I was kind of touching on earlier, uh, which when they're bringing up a lot of these social programs, they're doing that in order to get an emotional response out of people and for them to make their decision based on that emotion. And then like Arnold said, when it starts to go downhill, it then leads into ad hominem attacks and people just attacking people's character or just discrediting what they have to say based on some other attribute saying, you know, for example, uh, you know, well, you're a man anyway, so you can't talk about this regardless, you know, things like of that nature. Yeah, I think another important thing that um, we should be talking about is not like if there's multiple fallacies going on at one time and you are a newer debater, you don't have to feel like you have to like verbally call out every single fallacy. You don't have to be like, okay, that's a red herring and an emotional appeal and an appeal to the get. Like you don't have to say all of them at once. I think if you notice one thing that's sticking out to you more, like maybe the red herring is sticking out to you and you notice they're doing a little bit of emotional appeals in there too, just call out the red herring first and just talk about how that's not really related and just kind of curb that. Um, and then if they continue with the other fallacy, then you can just kind of go one by one because <laughs> if you just sit there and like yell out all these fallacies, no one's going to like you for doing that, number one, and it's probably just going to make people angry. Um, so trying to focus on one at a time would be a good thing. I think it would also be important, um, whenever you're calling out one of these, uh, you don't necessarily have to present them as like, this is a red herring. Now, you can say this is a red herring fallacy. I think it would be best if it was explained after. So if you say, okay, well, th this is this fallacy, and this is why, right? because you're attempting to shift from the discussion, uh, at least in the case of red herring, you're attempting to shift from the discussion when this isn't actually answering my overall question, which is gonna be the ethicality of abortion. Um, so I think it's important to, to make it known within the conversation why as well that these are fallacies being committed and why they lead to um, illogical conclusions. Um, yeah, like you don't I, even have to say specifically, this is this fallacy, you can just say, okay, this like, you know, doesn't address my question. And like, you don't even because yeah, sometimes when you say, oh, this is a fallacy, sometimes people can just get angry at that. So you can just explain to them why it's um, fallacious reasoning, at least. Yeah, and exactly. You'll see, people, mm -hmm. you'll see people throwing out fallacy left and right. Um, that's something you'll see a lot. Uh, you'll see people just saying, well, that's a fallacy, or that's a fallacy. And then and then someone will be like, okay, we'll explain. Um, 
And so if you just like add the explanation at the end, you can kind of get all that right up front. You don't even have to wait for someone to go, why is it a fallacy? And then and then the people watching, the people viewing, um, the people inside of the conversation, they'll all be able to recognize this as well and, and we'll all have become better for it. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and Ev, that's, that's actually what I was going to bring up. Um, when these fallacies are occurring, let's just, if I stick on, you know, the foster care issue, when somebody mentions foster care, I don't have to say that's a straw man or that's a red herring or, you know, that's an appeal to emotion. I don't have to call out the specific fallacy. I just need to recognize that a fallacy is occurring and try to lead the conversation back to the actual discussion. So I can explain why the argument is fallacious but I don't have to necessarily call out the specific fallacy that's happening at that time. So we talked a little bit earlier about kind of, or it was touched on about like emotional fallacy. And generally one of the things that kind of stem from the emotional fallacy is the ad hominem fallacy. We have a question uh, here about the ad hominem fallacy from one of our viewers uh, or listeners. they say, what about ad hominem fallacy? How long do we tolerate those or should we at all when hosting a live debate from either side? So maybe we talk a little bit about the ad hominem fallacy for those that don't know what it is and how to recognize it and then kind of how to deal with that obstacle. I think it depends on how the fallacy is being uh, argued. So if someone's just attacking you personally, then I don't think that's something that we necessarily have to put up with. Um, But in the course of the abortion debate, if they're saying, um, well, you're a man, so you can't talk about this regardless, we can kind of entertain that for a moment just to kind of show them, hey, we don't have to experience something personally to know whether it's right or wrong. So the fact that I'm a man and cannot get pregnant and can't experience this personally has nothing to do with whether the topic is right or wrong. We can bring up different examples of this happening today throughout the world, throughout history. They're going to agree to a lot of different things. For some reason, they only have an issue when it comes to the abortion debate. And I think it's more because they feel like that's an easier thing for them to argue against than the actual topic itself. They're going to agree. I don't have to experience things personally in order to have an opinion on it or to know whether it's right or wrong. I was going to say, I kind of want to like make sure that we all know what an ad hominem fallacy actually is. Because I think a lot of times people just think if someone insults you, then that means that they're committing an ad hominem fallacy, which isn't necessarily true. So ad hominem fallacies just mean that they're trying to discredit your argument based on a personal characteristic of you. Um, So like what Andy said, like if they say, oh, you're a man, so you can't have an opinion, that would be ad hominem. But if someone just calls me ugly, that's just a plain old insult. And I think that there's a difference. Like if someone's doing an ad hominem fallacy, I think like what Andy said, you can kind of walk them through why this doesn't make any sense. If people are just insulting you, I don't think that you really need to, like there's no time limit on how long you have to take like just plain old insults. Like I think that you can probably be like, okay, let's stop the insulting. And if they continue to do it, you're allowed to just kick people or leave the live or something. Cause they're just going to incessantly insult you. I don't know why you'd want to stay there anyways. Yeah. yeah, And it's also going to depend on how it's going as well, because I might allow them to do it um, for a little bit because it's just going to show how terrible their argument is in general. And people are going to be detracted from what they're saying just because of how they're acting. 
whether their argument itself is right or wrong, whether it has any merit to it, people are going to be less interested in it based on the things that they're saying in that moment. Yeah, and, and like going back to what I said earlier, um, like with the ad hominem, like the quick explanation usually clears a lot of these up. If you do a concise, quick explanation as to why, but if someone's insulting you, there is no quick, concise explanation, right? Because they're not actually refuting an argument. They're just, they're just insulting you. Um, and I agree. I, I think that, I think that you don't really have to put up with it. I, I'd, I'd entertain it for a little bit and see if you can get them to calm down. Um, Cause like Andy said, it, it, it is going to, it is going to show the, the viewers that, this person it's it kind of shows the flaw in their argumentation or it shows um their their like ethics it, it shows how they behave or how they choose to behave when in conversation with other people um and i think a lot of times it does become an inhibitor to to the debate at a certain point if someone just keeps insulting you there, there is no further course of action um you can reason with them and if that doesn't work then i, I just move on at that point We've, we've had an episode already about how to have the discussion and how to recognize, you know, when things aren't getting so productive and when to move on. If you have not yet listened to that uh, episode, if this is the first episode that you're tuning into, I highly recommend you checking out those previous episodes as well. Uh, going into how to have the discussion, like how to like some suggestions on where to be more productive and such. But moving on to another one that kind of pops up, uh, there is a common theme that I think that happens more so on the pro-choice side, but does sometimes happen, especially for newer pro-lifers in the discussion, or even people that have done it a long time and they just aren't really productive in in their approach. Um, you know, no offense to them, uh, but the appeal to legality. When, when somebody is like referring to laws, can you talk, can you guys like expand a little bit on that and like why this, what separates that or what, like the similarities between like that and like a red herring in the scope of the discussion that normally is best to have? Yeah, I think the, I think the simplest explanation of, of uh, an appeal to legality is just going to be something that's legal is moral and something that's illegal is immoral, right? Um, I think this view is predicated upon the fact that our laws are going to kind of dictate our morals and not that our morals should dictate our laws. Um, and so I think this is committed a lot and it tends to be in conjunction with uh, like a bandwagon fallacy or an argumentum ad populum, um, which is just going to be a, a, a populist. We can probably go on that one in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I it, it tends to be extremely common. Um, extremely common and people go well it's legal and and i think a key thing to remember uh, when when this is brought up is going back throughout history and we we should study history is we should keep thing, things from repeating themselves um, but there are a lot of atrocious things that were committed throughout history that were legal and that doesn't make them moral and i would point this out and say okay well obviously this is immoral um, any sane rational person would say it's immoral yet it was legal which means that clearly Legality is not going to equal moral, and illegality is not going to equal immoral. I always like to talk about how we should approach these things. Um, so I definitely think with like appeals to legality, um, if you want to keep it as non-confrontational as possible, I know the biggest thing that we like to bring up is like, you know, an example like the slavery thing or the Holocaust thing um, as things that, well, I guess the Holocaust, was the Holocaust legal? I don't know. Anyways, oh, <laughs> but like slavery was legal. So we try to bring that up. Um, I think a way to do it kind of gracefully is to preface what you're saying and just make sure that they know that you're not comparing slavery and abortion. 
you're just saying that, well, we know that throughout history, there were a lot of things that were legal, that were immoral. You'd Honestly, I don't even bring up specific examples unless they ask me to, um, because I think even just saying um, that there are things in America's history specifically that were legal, that are immoral, um, they're, they're already thinking of slavery and women not being able to vote and all that kind of stuff. So they're already going to think about it. You don't even have to go into specifics if you want to keep it less heated than it can get, because bringing up slavery always makes them mad. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I I try to do the same thing. I try to speak in generalities and just talk about how, you know, well, just because something is legal or not legal, it does not mean it's moral or immoral, right? And we can look at cases currently around the world where there's laws uh, that allow for things that we would deem immoral. And we can even, we don't even have to look around the world. We can look in our own country's history if we want to. Um, but there are a lot of examples. And then, like you said, if they want a specific example, you can mention some of these things. Um, but I would agree, people tend to get really triggered when you bring up slavery as an example, and they think that you're, well, I don't even know if they think that you're actually comparing abortion and slavery, but that's the argument that they're going to make. They're they're going to ignore the fact that you're comparing the logic that allowed for one is the same logic they're using to allow for the other. Um, which is why I try to stay away from mentioning that specifically or any of these specifically until it gets to that point in the discussion. Yeah, I, I think the I think the um, appeal to legality just it leads right into a um, argument to mad populum or a bandwagon fallacy if we wanted to discuss that as well. Yeah, and before we move on to that, another thing that we could even just say is even with the abortion topic itself, if we're going to look at what the law currently is, as to what is or isn't moral, those laws are different depending on where you are, even within our own country. So the law that says abortion is legal up until the point of viability, is that what's correct? Because that's what the law says. Is the, abor- is the law that says abortion is only okay up until a heartbeat is detectable, is that the right one? Because that's what the law says. Like you can't, it's, it's very obvious that we can't just look to the law to determine what is moral and what is not because the laws on the same topic aren't even the same in our own country. Yeah, it's also, once you start learning, like, why, because someone had to have enacted these in the first place. Someone had to come to a moral conclusion to enact these laws. So saying that the laws are going to follow with a moral implication is just kind of silly, because the the way these laws began was through moral implications, was through someone's moral thought and reasoning. Um, And that's what we should be using to dictate our laws, not the other way around. Right. Should we not have overturned Roe because that was the law? Should we not have acted enacted it in the first place because that was the law? Like, should we leave the laws in Texas what they are because that's what they currently are and the laws in New York, like what they currently are? How do we know which one's right if we're only basing it on what the law currently is? It, it just doesn't make any sense. Their own argument refutes itself. And that's why that's it's a, a fallacious argument. Uh, another thing is to make sure that we're using appeals to legality the correct way as well. Um, Just someone talking about the law is not an appeal to legality. Um, People discussing which policies they think would be good for society or whatever is not an appeal to legality. The only time it's an appeal to legality is if they say, this thing is legal, therefore it is moral, or this thing is illegal, therefore it is immoral. I find it a lot when we talk about murder of foreign people, 
um, a lot of times they'll say, well, you can't kill, you know, a baby that was born because that's illegal. That's murder. That's illegal. That would be an appeal to legality. Um, but them just talking about, well, I think this policy is good. Well, I think this policy is good. That's not an appeal to legality directly. Yeah. I and a lot of times we'll, a lot of times we'll shut them down when they start making these appeals to legality. And then we get further in the conversation and they start talking about what they would do personally when it comes to abortion. And we'll ask them, well, no, I'm not so interested in what you would do personally. I'm interested in what you think the law ought to be. And they'll say things like, well, hold on. I thought you just said you don't want to talk about the law. Now you want to talk about the law, make up your mind. And I think it's important for us to understand the difference. One is an appeal to legality because you're basing right and wrong off of what the law currently is. And the other one is just talking about what the law ought to be for different reasons. Yeah, I actually think it's very important to hone in because, um, yeah, the, the most common one you're going to find is when talking about the killing of born children or the euthanization of born children. It, it, they claim that it's going to be illegal, yet there's nothing of substance that's going to claim that this is ethically wrong. I think once dug into, you find out that the, the same reasoning as to why it's wrong there is the same reasoning as to why it's wrong in the womb. Yep. They just say, oh, you can't do that. Obviously, it's illegal. It's like, okay, why should it be? Should it be illegal? I think so. But like, if you think it should be, why should it be? It's yeah. probably going to lead into a little bit of special pleading then on their part as well. I was just about to oh, say. Oh, it always does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, do we want to talk about special pleading? Yeah, I mean, we're we're already we're already here, so let's go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, special pleading is like one of my favorite things to call out um, because I think it's the thing that I see. I don't know. I think that and straw man are probably the two that I see the most. Um, so special pleading is when someone lays out a principle or an argument, some type of stance that they have. Um, and then you either provide a reductio or you provide a critique or an argument against it. Um, and then they shift or they make an exception for what they just laid out without justification. Right. So it's not just, you know, how we make the medical exception we have a, a justification for making that medical exception and we can explain it. Um, but if someone says, well, a woman gets to do with their body what they want to do, they don't even have any obligation to their children. Um, most of the time, they're just talking about children in the womb. So when we bring it outside of the womb and we use you know, the famous <laughs> baby in a bathtub reductio or Snowden cabin reductio um, or something like that, and then they're like, oh, well, in that case, the woman does have to use her body. The woman is obligated. Um, if they say, you know, two different things in two different scenarios without providing the justification for it, then that would be special pleading. If they provide justifications, then you can obviously go down and argue why they're right or wrong or whatever. But without any justification, um, that would be special pleading. Yeah, that one's, uh, yeah, special pleading is pretty common. And I think it's it's pretty easy to, to kind of point out. Sometimes it, it's difficult, but what you're looking for in a lot of these is, is the substance, right? Is to, to re-ask yourself the question, um, if this pertains to the ethicality of abortion, okay, it does. And now like, what's the argument behind it? Well, in the special plea, the, the argument that it, it just isn't going to be there. So the substance isn't going to be there. And so a lot of times I think people do have some form of justification. They just don't say it, right? They just, they just, don't don't tell you that so i think just pressing them um to to get that justification and then the justification can be talked about but getting the justification is part of the conversation and then once you have the the justification that can be further expanded upon but there's nothing that can be done without the argumentation behind it we we did t speak a little bit about 
you know, it's been brought, it was brought up earlier in the conversation, right? The, you know, the emotional pleas and the ad hominems. And what, what's kind of surprising to me is how I think we may have lightly touched on it, but the anecdotal experience, right? This, this is, uh, this is an actual fallacy for those that people, those that didn't know. Uh, and there's a reason why it is y'all want to go ahead and expand on, on that. I know it ties into some earlier fallacies that we talked about, but very common. <laughs> yeah. The, the emotional plead and the anecdotal fallacy are kind of going to go hand in hand a lot of times. Um, so this is going to occur when people use their personal experience or their, their, personal story um to make a conclusion about about the conversation or the, or the given topic um so the anecdotal is going to be you know one time in my life this this and this and they're going to use this as argumentation the, the problem becomes one back to the emotional plead it's going to emotionally charge the conversation um when you have people bringing personal instances it's very hard and i find a hard time with this as well is it's very hard to basically explain how you truly feel on the conversation knowing the emotional charge that the other person on the other end has behind it um i think the best thing we can do is remain truthful of course um but i think it's not good to let them continue because it will emotionally now now some of these instances are good to hear about this is statistics right this is an instance um I think the best thing that you can do is explain as to why in the scenario, but the scenario is going to be wildly unreliable. Um, anyone can basically say anything. There's no way to tell what's truth and what's not. I think it emotionally charges the conversation. I think there's a way to get your point across without involving your own personal story or your own personal feelings. Yeah, and another issue with that, or or to further the points that you're making, is when they're bringing up their own personal experience, not only is there no way to verify that any of what they're saying is actually true, but they bring it up to get that emotional like pull out of people. And then when you ask them a follow-up question to their own personal story that they just told, a lot of times they get triggered or upset that you're using their own personal experience or their own trauma or something to make you know our argument or our point when really it's like, you brought up your own personal experience. If you didn't want to talk about it, that's fine. But then why did you bring it up? Yeah, and also anecdotal experiences don't, like, all the things that you guys said is true, but they also, like, don't say anything about the actual, like, ethics or morality of the situation. Like, again, it kind of goes into a red herring almost as well, because, like, I'll just use an example. If I have one bad experience with a Black person, and then I'm, you know, using that to justify why I, you know, don't want to live around black people. I don't like black people. I don't want to talk to them. Then like that would be unjustified reasoning just because you have one bad experience with one certain issue or like one certain group of people or one like medical thing or whatever. It doesn't say anything about the actual morality of that situation. Yeah, I think probably the best way that this situation can be handled is you're kind of you're kind of taking a chance with having someone put in a um, put it on the table. So having someone like go through the entire anecdotal story, the, your your chances of them becoming emotionally charged um, to everything you say going forward is is going to be likely. Um, you can say, I think the best thing to do is say, well, we're not going to do anecdotals in this conversation. 
and just leave it there and say, well, we're not going to bring our personal experiences. We can talk about the ethicality. We can talk about situations. We can talk about statistics and facts, but we don't have to use our personal experiences. Um, I think that's the best thing to do. Typically what tends to happen is someone puts out their anecdotal story and everyone else is truthful to it. And it feelings get hurt, you know, stress gets high. People don't really want to hear what they don't want to hear. Um, and it causes a lot of problems. That's where the ad hom start. That's where um, just basic insulting starts. That's where yelling starts. Um, just turns the conversation into an emotional landmine, right? Eggshells that you're walking on because you have no clue how this person is going to respond. So I'd say the best response is just we're not going to do anecdotals in the conversation. Yeah, it's definitely something that you have to approach sensitively because if you if someone starts to tell their own anecdotal story and you just shut them down right away and say hold up we're not doing anecdotals in this in this conversation then that's going to also get them emotionally charged because they're going to feel like they're not being heard but you also like you said don't want to let them go on for too long because that's going to also get them emotionally charged and then everybody's going to be walking on eggshells because you don't know how you can react or you don't know how you can respond because you don't know how they'll react to what your response is so if they make a few statements about something, you know, you can gracefully kind of bring the conversation back to the topic and talk in more generalities. Um, but we just have to be careful about how we bring the conversation back away from the anecdotal story. Yeah, and I, I do think that another another thing you can do is answer accordingly, right? They've presented you a situation, answer according to your beliefs. Um, and this will show people that in these given situations, you have the answer, right? You've thought these through. Um, but yeah, you're, you're taking the chance there. I think it's good. Um, sometimes you can kind of get a feel for it once you start talking to people. Um, but I, I do think it's important once the conversation or the debate starts getting into this landmine territory, this emotionally charged territory, and you tell because voices get raised and and stuff like this, I think it's good to back off and go, like Andy said, go back into generalities um, so that you're not kind of pointing at somebody. So do you feel like there's a risk of, with this fallacy in particular, being used as a cudgel to optically win debates? And that it, it it's basically, if you, if you aren't, I feel like if you're not able to recognize this, it's such a huge trap that can be felt, fell into by people who are are newer or maybe people who have been debating like on a live specifically like TikTok, who, and they've been doing it for a while and they're just frustrated because they've had a really frustrating last couple of debates with different people. And they themselves are kind of like losing patience. Right. Um, so when people see that, do you think that this is, this is a fallacy, one of those like fallacies that can be used as a cudgel to really just win it without actually providing any uh any substance to to the debate yeah i don't necessarily think the anecdotal is the cudgel i think the emotional plead behind it is um, yeah i was gonna say that too exactly. i think that i think that the emotional plead that follows is something to paint you out as a bad person or paint you out um and and in some situations it especially when you have the populace against you, right? They, they are going to present it this way so that you are painted in a bad light. Um, now, not always, but like, like before, using your rational reasoning and using um, 
concise answers and and um you can kind of avoid these right and and sometimes maybe the populace will be against you but if you stick true to your beliefs and you know them to be right then yeah the majority of the population should change your mind yeah it's definitely a sticky situation um anytime that you encounter anecdotes it's a you're just gonna honestly have to deal with it so that you can get better at it um but it definitely when people go way too long with their anecdotal stories you know they talk about oh i had a miscarriage at 15 weeks and I went through this trauma and that trauma and I had a DNC or whatever like they're gonna not only gain the support of the pro-choice viewers like you'll notice especially at TikTok lives when they're going off on their anecdotal stories they're getting gifted like crazy they're getting all the comments are in support of them sending them hearts and sending them love and because stuff. we need to and validate not- everybody everything everybody says we need to validate right, them, right? And it's like, it's not even to say that they're, that what they're sharing is false. I'm sure that most of the time what they're sharing is a true story, but I think it's a good thing to, to, I don't want to say, again, you have to be very cautious about this, but to stop them in the most graceful way possible and explain why anecdotes are not arguments. And again, the nicest way possible, I normally start if I, if I can, by validating what they're, what they went through, saying, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Um, I hope you've healed from that. I hope you're getting help. I hope everything is okay now. Trying to validate them first, and then moving in very kindly to, this is why this doesn't work. This is why this argument doesn't work. And you can give examples of why anecdotes don't work, like the one that I gave previously. Um, You can like try and prove to them why it doesn't work. Uh, but definitely try not to let it go on for like five minutes because if it does, then at the end of it, you're just going to look like a monster because, you know, the chat knows that you're pro-life and they know that, well, they don't know, but they assume that this anecdote is going to, you know, like you're going to disagree with it or whatever happened or something. And then the whole chat, all the viewers are going to be against you for no reason. So try to cut it off gracefully if you can, but I know it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, yeah like, like Arnold, this- like Arnold said earlier, um, it's not the anecdotal story that they're trying to use to win the debate necessarily. It's the emotional plea or the emotional response that people are going to have from that story that's being told. Um, and it's also, it's also something that kind of puts everybody on edge. Like we said, you don't know how to respond to it. I think when we're, re- when we are responding to these stories, we have to, we have to be as polite as we can and as graceful as we can in doing so, but we also have to be honest. So we can't just, uh, you know, say things to validate this person if we don't actually believe them. And some of the things might not be comfortable to say. They might not be what people want to hear and they might get upset over it. People might even decide to leave the live if they don't want to listen to, you know, your response. But Sometimes like you just have to respond be- and I can give an example. I've had conversations with people where, you know, someone will say, I had an abortion. I had to have an abortion because it was out of medical necessity. And we start talking about that specifics and we really get down to the fact that it actually wasn't out of medical necessity. It was just because you didn't want to have a kid. And we might not say it in those exact words when we're having the conversation and, and pushing back on their story, um, but that's essentially the message that we're putting across, uh, if that's, you know, the truth of the matter. And, and it's not going to be something that's comfortable to say necessarily. It might put everybody, you know, on edge for a little bit, but sometimes we just have to say it. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. I would say that the way, like, 
if you're validating them, like I would say that if they, you know, had a medically necessary abortion or if they say that they had a medically necessary abortion, I think instead of just taking it at face value, you can say, well, if that's true, I'm sorry that you went through that, whatever. And then you can kind of get into the actual debate with it. Um, so I definitely agree. There are like a time and a place if someone legitimately had a miscarriage they wanted and, you know, something like that, you know, you can obviously validate that. But like Arnold said earlier, obviously stick to your beliefs. Like if someone has an elective abortion and they're like, oh, it's because I was with my abusive boyfriend or something. I might say like, well, I am so sorry that your boyfriend was abusive. Like you can at least touch base with them there, validate them there on where you agree that they should be validated. But definitely, yeah, point out um, like your beliefs, stick true to your beliefs, point out where they're wrong. And to be clear, I'm not saying every time somebody says that they had a medically necessary abortion that we need to, you know, dig down to determine if it actually was medically necessary. I'm just saying if they go on about their experience and they give details that show that it wasn't medically necessary, we can call those things out in a graceful way, even if it's uncomfortable to do so. Um, the one that you just gave the example, I, I've had that conversation with people multiple times where they say, I had to do this because I was in uh, a domestic violence situation. You know, my boyfriend was abusive. I had to have an abortion. And I've had that pushback with those people and said, well, actually, you, you didn't have to. You chose to. You could have taken other steps to remove yourself from that situation. That's not to say that removing yourself from that situation is easy. Like, we're all going to agree that some of these things are more difficult than others. But the point is that you didn't have to do this. It wasn't necessary. You chose to do this rather than choosing to take a different action. Yeah, I think in the long run, that's probably going to be, like, remaining tactful and having consideration is important. But at the same time, remain honest. Um, if you if you have to, uh, explain to them your answer to the situation, right? Explain to them how your position encompasses that or explain to them as to why it doesn't. Right. Um, a lot of times it's not going to be what they want to hear. I, I can promise that it's, it's not going to be what they want to hear. Um, but if we truly care about each other, we will tell each other the truth. Right. Uh, we shouldn't lie to each other. I mean, that's just what we do as, as good human beings. Right. We should be honest with each other. Um, Des and, despite yeah, what pro-choicers I mean, will say about us. <laughs> about the, yeah, I just the lack of empathy. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's like, I think it's very good to remain tactful and be honest. And, and there may be feelings hurt, but I promise they will take what you're saying and they will, they will kind of digest it over time. Um, and that is how minds are changed. Right. And I think that's something we should be doing. I think it's important to be, to be having these conversations in grace because not always do they go that way. Um, a lot of times they, they devolve into just complete disarray. But I think when these situations are brought forth, kind of gauge the situation. And if you can answer earnestly and with tact, and you can answer it in a way that's not going to make them feel attacked, but can show how you've basically thought about these situations or how your position answers these situations. I think that's also important because that'll show the depth of the research that you've done. And I know we've all done you know, research into this. Um, so, yeah. So we have had a question from multiple of our live listeners, which by the way, if you are pro-life and you're listening to this right now and you're not a part of our discord, 
you might want to check the description that we have there and come and join our pro-life community. It is pro-life exclusive. Uh, for those that aren't pro-life, that may be pro-choice or maybe on the fence, uh, we do have another community that we tend to, that we also run myself and Andy, called Fair Debates. Also on Discord, where you can engage in some uh, some discourse, not just about abortion, but about a number of other topics. But to the question that is uh, seems to be coming up mostly into in the live chat here, uh, circular reasoning. So we have one question specifically from a listener. What about circular reasoning? How long should that go on before calling it quits? Some people just don't seem to track. Uh, let's talk about circular reasoning and begging the question. Yeah, I, I would say at least to the to the last part of that, um, I I wouldn't consider calling it quits into like a as as one of the like beginning things you do right. Again, like calling these out and and explaining as to why they are fallacies and explaining as to why this leads to illogical reasoning. Um, obviously, if something's somebody's like angry. Or if somebody's insulting you, or if some like I, I, we can be stubborn, like people can be stubborn, um, and just gauge based upon if you have other people that you're willing to talk to that may be more um, willing to participate in the conversation, you could cycle people out. But I wouldn't, I, I typically wouldn't say calling it quits to be uh, necessarily an option a lot of the times. Um, if you don't have anyone else there and they're the person that's there. Um, Unless they're trolling, they're there for a reason. And I think that you can get through to people. Um, I think as... sometimes you can. I will say there's... So sorry to cut you off. Um, I will say that right. there's um, one situation... Well, there's a few. But there's one that mainly sticks out to me that is really hard to actually get anywhere. And it's something that I've talked about on lives before. When pro-choicers don't necessarily have... Um, like a solid stance, like, you know, some pro-choices are very much bodily autonomy, some are personhood, um, some are bodily integrity, evictionism, all these things. When someone who's maybe new to debating, they're just pro-choice because they feel like they should be, what you'll see is that they'll start with like bodily autonomy, for instance, and they'll go down that line of questioning with you and you'll question them. And then once they get stuck, they'll immediately pivot to personhood and they'll say, well, that situation is different with bodily autonomy because in pregnancy, the fetus isn't a person. And then you go down the line of questioning with personhood and you prove to them, or at least beyond a reasonable doubt that the fetus would be a person. And then they switch back to bodily autonomy. And I've had this happen time and time again. And these things go on for hours and hours and hours. So I think definitely if you start to see that pattern, where like you attack one of their positions, they get stuck and they switch to a different position. I think that it's really good to identify that problem and then make like, I'll even bring out a whiteboard and I'll make a tally or a drawing or something to help them. And I'll be like, okay, we're talking about bodily autonomy. You already conceded on all of these points. Now we're switching to personhood. Once I debunk you on personhood, if you switch back to bodily autonomy, I'm going to just end the conversation gracefully because we're going in circles at this point. So I think, yeah, if they're just using circular reasoning within their argument, definitely point out when it's circular, try and help them understand why it's circular. But if you get to the point, like what I was mentioning before, I think at that point, you might as well just bring other people up. Yeah, I mean, if, they're, if their answer leads back to their original premise, then, you know, we're just, they're, they're essentially just begging the question or or their reasoning is circular. So for example... If their position is, you know, pro-choice up until birth, 
and I ask you, well, why does birth matter? Why is that what gives you rights? And their answer is because you're not inside the mother's body anymore. That's just telling me what birth is. That's your premise. You didn't tell me why that's what matters. So that's going to be a circular reason. Like you're begging the question because you didn't actually answer or substantiate your premise. You just told me again what your premise is. And we can go in this circle a few times, especially uh, we're going to give more leeway, or at least I think we should give more leeway to people who are calm and actually seem to be having a genuine discussion. If somebody is just up there arguing or is very combative, then I don't think it's productive to let that go on for as long. But as we continue the conversation, it's important for us to ask those questions, even though it's essentially the same question, to maybe ask it in a different way. And maybe that will prompt a different response out of them. Um, So if they're going to tell me that birth is what matters, instead of asking them, you know, why that matters, uh, maybe ask them how far out it has to be in order for you to consider it born. And that might then lead us further down like a different part of the discussion rather than just going in a circle of them telling me, well, birth matters because it's not in the mother's body anymore. Yeah, I think the I think the three big question begging that I hear is is the abortion is a personal choice, kind of assuming that it's not a wrong choice to make. We wouldn't say that someone that runs around and murders other people to be a personal choice. Um, I mean, it may, it may be, but that doesn't denote whether it's right or whether it's wrong. Um, another one that's like pretty popular is going to be, well, if, if you don't like abortions, then don't have an abortion, right? And and again, that's going to presuppose the the same ending, which is that they're not wrong. They're not, uh, you know, don't like arson, don't burn down any buildings, right? It's it's the wrongness of the action is what's in question, and these don't really answer it, or the the last one's pretty popular is the opposing abortion. You just want to control women. Um, and so since it's, they're not denoting abortion to any form of wrongdoing, right? Cause we control people all of the time from doing wrong, right? For what we would believe to be morally, um, morally wrong. Right. And so when you say, well, you just want to control women, it's like, well, I mean, it's again, that's just going to be question begging um, as to assume that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be having these actions limited, right? Right, um, right. That we should be allowed to do whatever we want whenever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's that. back to, you know, one of the questions that Josh asked earlier. A lot of these fallacies can overlap or lead into each other, um, which, again, is why it's less important for us to call out which fallacy it is and more just to explain why the argument it may be fallacious and just lead it back to the actual discussion. Yeah, I feel like it's... It's an avenue that you can keep in your back pocket where if you are more familiar with the fallacies and somebody doesn't quite get or understand it, if you're explaining how it's a, how it's like in, how it's an invalid argument because they're committing a fallacy of one of these fallacies and they're not understanding this first one that you're trying to explain, then you can possibly try to explain it in another way because if they're concurrently doing multiple they might not understand it from one perspective or one of these fallacies, but they might understand another. Do you guys think, would you guys agree that the most obvious uh, kind of circular reasoning for those entering into the debates would be um, the bodily autonomy? It's, it's my body. Well, why is it? My body, my choice. My body, my choice. Well, why? Because it's, it's my body. Right. Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. Abortion should be allowed. My body, my choice, because it's my body. So I get to choose. You literally just said the same thing over again. Yeah, it's obvious. Or it's, it's like a, a euphemism almost. It's literally just like Talking they just think that 
Yeah, like, like you know, they've seen it on, I always use this, but it's so true. They see it on Planned Parenthood's Instagram story. They see all these slogans, these, you know, like, my body is more restricted than guns are. Like, these just one-liners, and they never think past the one-liner. So when you are, you know, when they say, my body, my choice, and you actually press on them, they're just going to basically crumble and just be like, oh, but, it's, but, but, but it's my body, but it's my body. Yeah, that's, it, that's the one that we encounter the most. So these next few fallacies that we're going to talk about are probably the most nuanced or, or the most like I would say like not necessarily called out by the average debater um, but I think they're important um, so to the panel can you guys explain what a genetic fallacy is and when and how they're committed in the scope of the discussion yeah so the genetic fallacy is going to be saying oh well Whatever is being said is wrong just because of who is saying it. So if I'm listening to Evelyn and for some reason I've got something against her and I'm like, she's always wrong every time she speaks. So obviously this is wrong too. Like, Rude. It, it, well. <laughs> wow. Okay. This isn't necessarily wrong just because Evelyn is saying it. It's probably wrong because she's a woman who's saying it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, but in all seriousness, it, it's not wrong just because someone is saying it. The the statement, we have to look at the merit of the statement itself, not who is delivering that message. Yeah, I would say that pro-lifers need to be careful of this as well. I've seen a lot of times when, and I think that criticizing a source can be useful, but I think that when you know you ask for a source for something and a pro-choicer brings up Guttmacher Institute or a Planned Parenthood website or an obviously pro-abortion site I think instead of just screaming oh that's from Planned Parenthood they're biased whatever hear what they mm -hmm. have to say now yep. if they say something absolutely crazy um, then you could be like okay well obviously Planned Parenthood would say this and whatever but just be mindful of not committing this genetic fallacy yourself and actually attack what this, you know, Planned Parenthood article or something is saying and don't just immediately discount it because they say it's from Planned Parenthood. Yeah. If yes. we look outside of the abortion, um, the abortion topic itself and to try to understand the fallacy, we see this a lot in politics, for example, you know, people might say, Oh, that's wrong just because it's coming from Fox news or it's coming from CNN, or it's coming from a source that has views that are opposite to mine. So it's clearly wrong because that person is the one delivering the message when really it might be right. I might not agree with what's being said, or I might not agree with the other views that the person holds, but the message that they're delivering might be correct. And I need to examine what they're saying, not who's saying it. Yeah. I think I see this the most, um, just on the out fronts with the the adoption statistics um and they'll be like oh well of course it's from an adoption website right or an adoption organization yep um i think that's another thing that you'll see a lot at least from the pro-life to the pro-choice side um is they will discredit your adoption statistics based upon the source they're coming from without actually going into the source i think it's important this comes down to the do your research you know, if someone presents you something, of, of course, it, it does nothing but betters yourself to go through and read it and analyze it and scrutinize it. Yeah, for sure. And it kind of it kind of leads into uh, another fallacy, which is just the appeal to popularity. So if this one person is saying something and we're going to say it's wrong just because this one person's saying it, you know, it doesn't mean that this other thing is right just because a lot of people are saying it. 
you know, that the statement could be equally wrong, even though everybody thinks it's correct. Yeah, it kind of flies into the ad hom as well. There's a lot, there's a lot in there that could uh, kind of lead back to the ad hom. You know, like you're, a, yeah. you're, a, you're a man, so everything you say. And then someone else will get up and they're a woman and they'll, they'll literally restate the entire argument and they'll be like, oh, oh. Bro, for real, if you haven't, check <laughs> yeah. out uh, a video that I made recently with one of my pro-life mutuals. Uh, he's a man, and so I lent him my uterus so that he could have a valid opinion on abortion. It's a funny video. Go check Was that it out. the one Let's where you, the two of you kept going back and forth? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That was pretty good. Yeah, I want to do more videos with him. He's a great guy, but it, I thought it was funny, too, because it's so stupid when people say that you have to be a woman when they can't even define what a woman is, but that's besides the point. Anyway. Yeah, the identity politics in some of these debates is wild. It, it makes no sense. It has nothing to do with the actual discussion. Sometimes I just further the discussion by saying, or move on by saying, yeah, yeah, I have a uterus. I just have a deep voice. And then you can, you can hear their brain shutting down because they don't know how to respond to that. They were all ready for to make an argument against me being able to speak on this simply because I'm a man, but yeah, the, know, the, the, the liberal in them, <laughs> the liberal in them can't allow them to push back or question whether I'm a woman or not. Must hey, not let's invalidate. Not, let's not talk about liberals. There are some liberals who are pro-life. Okay, that was a joke. You can laugh. Speaking of sure. things that don't happen uh -huh. in nature, um. <laughs> oh my gosh. This next this next fallacy is interesting because I I think that we we see this a lot in in newer in in newer and sometimes even people who are have done this for a while and just like they don't see the the fallacy that they're committing or they have some level of cognitive dissonance and don't really want to address this um, but the appeal to nature fallacy yeah. yeah I see this on both sides and actually. All of these fallacies are committed by people on both sides of the argument. So don't think yes, that this is only 100%. a pro-choice thing or only a pro-life thing. We could give lots of examples of these things happening from people on both sides of the argument. This um, one I think we see more from the pro-life side, though. Yeah. Uh, so the appeal to nature, for example, if I'm on the pro-life side, uh, well, first, let's just talk about what it is. Yeah. So we're basically saying something is right or wrong based on whether or not it's natural. Right, or whether it occurs in nature. So if I'm on the pro-life side and I say, well, you know, abortion is wrong uh, because that's what your uterus is made for. You know, it, it's a part of nature. It, it was intended for you to gestate a child. That may be true. Doesn't mean abortion is right or wrong based on that fact alone. On the opposite side, we hear people say, well, animals kill their young all the time. You know, you, they might give you examples of animals aborting in the wild um, or eating their younger, you know, all these other things. And they'll say, well, this, uh, this happens in nature. It's natural. So we should be able to do it as well. Just because these things happen in nature or are natural doesn't mean that they are right or wrong. Yeah, I agree. Tons of, tons of crazy things that happen within nature. But yeah, it can also happen on the... It can also happen on the pro-life side. So um, if we're saying like, um, you know, if someone brings us a reductio or an argument that we don't really know how to deal with and we say, well, it's different because pregnancy is natural. You know, this is a natural thing that happens. Um, again, like Andy said, just because something is in nature or is natural or is biological doesn't necessarily mean that this ought to happen. I mean, it's natural technically for animals to rape each other, for 
you know, like animals to kill each other for like all of these things that happen in nature, even sometimes in, you know, human instinct, we have, you know, we're evil, evil beings, and we have evil tendencies. And, you know, just because it might be natural for someone to do something evil, it doesn't mean that something that we should condone. So um, be aware of, of you yourself making this fallacy well, as well as a pro-lifer. Now, can you guys explain the difference between you now we talked about like in the last episode of like us kind of going about our uh, Andy and, and Evan myself of our kind of like take on on what our pro life stance is and what the general consensus is for plan. Um, but how do you explain to somebody who may claim that the idea that humans have the like it's within our it's within our nature to have the higher capacity for rationale which is what gives us these rights what separates that from the appeal to nature fallacy um i think that this is we're not saying like because it's natural it must be good what we're saying there is that this is something that is observable within our species this is something that we just inherently do have um and this is something that we value at least intuitively and you can go down that entire argument of why we value it what's important about it um but we're not simply saying well this thing is natural to humans therefore xyz we actually have an argument to back it up um and it's just something that is observable within our species and no one can really refute that it's observable within our species um but if you just say oh this thing is like the natural capacity for blah 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 that's why um, that would be an appeal to nature. So you have to further uh, explain the argument of why you value it, why you think it's important, and why it ought to be protected. Yeah, and I think this is, uh, I think that everyone kind of intuitive, intuitively believes that, at least like at face value, right? Um, like that's the whole point of the nurture and the nature for children, right? Like we're fostering this within them. Um, uh, that's why, you know, providing your child with an education is your, is your, providing the tools for them um so yeah it's definitely separate um i wouldn't say that it's because it's natural i would say that yeah i i completely agree that um this is what we're valuing um at least in in one form right and and this is why instead of just saying well this is what occurs therefore this is good yeah, it's always about the um, the justification, the explanation behind it, and the why behind it that matters. Um, th that's why I avoid just saying statements, and I try to make the actual argument. And if the pro-choicer will allow me to, I try to fully flesh out why I believe this to be the case. Um, we're not just, it's, it's kind of like the is-ought fallacy. We're not saying just because this is, that's the way it ought to be. Um, we bridge the gap through our um, argumentation ethics or through our you know, intuition, um, just through our argument in general, we can bridge the adult gap. Yeah, and as previous, previously stated, I, I can't push it enough, like be concise, be rational, right? Think about your position, do research on your position um, and, and try to be as concise as possible. Try to avoid these, right? Make sure you have substance within your argument. Don't just make a claim or, or state an opinion without any argumentation to back it up because this is how we're going to come to uh, you could say moral conclusions yeah we've talked about it on previous episodes but make sure you're not calling out these fallacies or doing these fallacies yourselves or you're not making arguments in general if you don't know how to back them up 
So if you don't understand, for instance, what's my stance, why I value human beings in general is because of the capacity for rationality. If you don't understand the argument behind that, don't just go and answer someone and be like, well, I value humans because of the capacity for rationality, because then they're going to ask you why they're going to press you on it and you're going to have nothing. So make sure that you're not saying these statements or calling out these fallacies if you don't fully understand what they are and how to um, how to use them, how to argue them. Yeah, and hopefully this conversation has given you a little more insight into some of these, but if you still have questions about them, definitely uh, ask in the Discord. Um, we have some stuff posted, but we can get more materials to people if you want to learn more about this stuff. I think it's important also to note that like, or just really to re-emphasize what the panel is talking about. When we have these episodes and these discussions, these are these are definitely suggestions on what you can do. The, the purpose that we're trying to convey and the value that we're trying to give you here is the way that you can enter into a conversation and be have a productive conversation. Not necessarily flip them right then and there. But to have a productive conversation and to be able to calmly and effectively be able to talk with opposing with people with opposing views. So understanding and approaching it from that perspective and keeping that in mind, I think will also help guide y'all along. This last fallacy, I think is probably the one of the most important ones that I've seen as of late. Burden of proof fallacy. Let's let's go ahead and dive into that. Uh, if any of y'all would like to expand on at least the definition first and then kind of go into the examples of where you've seen it kind of committed. Yeah, so what this is going to mean is when somebody is making a positive claim, it is on them to provide the proof to back up that claim. So it's up to them to prove what they're saying is correct, not for you to disprove it. Um, now, once they've backed it up, you can present something to refute that claim, but it is up to them to back up their own claim. And I, I see it a lot on both sides where people will make a statement um, and then they don't have anything to back it up and they'll just expect the other one or they'll push the other person to prove them wrong rather than them substantiating that what they said is correct. This kind of falls into the um, do your research. Right. Uh, make sure that you're basing your uh, conclusions off of sound reasoning and judgments based upon um, evidence and, and other considerations. Right. Um, and so, like, while you do this, just make sure to notate specific sources or make sure that you have, I mean, at least for you to prevent it. Right. Um, if you know that you're going to make a claim or you know you're going to make this and, and obviously the response is going to be for someone to ask you. Um, where this came from, this goes back to, you know, scrutinize. Um, we become better for going and looking at what other people are bringing us, right? And and I would want someone to do that for me, and I would do that for someone, right? So we should be looking at these um, basically evidence, you could say, or, or articles or statistics that people bring us. But if, if you don't have any of this on either side, you're just going to be throwing opinions at each other, and no one can, can back up anything they're saying. So I think yeah. it's important to, right. to do your research and, and maybe have some of it handy. Yeah, I saw this um, actually on a live today. Um, and the pro-lifer was trying to get a source from a pro-choicer who made a claim. I can't remember what he made a claim about, but it was something pretty outlandish. 
and the pro-lifer just asked like okay I've never heard that before could you give me a source and the pro-choicer just said no it's not my job to educate you that's something that they'll use a lot it's this new kind of liberal leftist thing where they say that um they don't you know it's like emotional labor for them to to educate you or to tell you why something is wrong or why they believe a thing um but i think it's really important they can't just make an outlandish claim like you know i've heard people say that like 90 percent of the kids in foster care are abused neglected and end up prisoners or whatever and like if they throw out something outlandish like that you have to ask for a source and i personally i would not move on or let them deflect until they substantiate those those crazy claims. Um, and I think I would say it definitely happens a lot more on the pro-choice side, but like Arnold said, make sure that if you're making claims about adoption or when human life begins or um, these other things that a lot of pro-lifers talk about, make sure that you know uh, where they're coming from so that you can just rattle off a few uh, sources for those pro-choicers to actually look up. Most of the time they won't look them up and they'll just start screaming at you. But on the off chance that they do look them up, uh, I think it's it's very good to give them those sources because you could be planting a seed for sure. So definitely know know your stuff before you say it. Yeah, and this will be something that comes with continued discussion, right? So so as you continue to discuss with people, you'll start to get into a pattern of what people are looking for. I think that in a conversation, there's obviously a, a bunch of different things that everyone just kind of mutually agrees on. Like we don't need a source for it. Everyone just already understands. Um, and so, like, as you have discussions and as you have debates and as you have conversations, people will you, you'll tend to get a general feel for what people are wanting sources for. And you can just already have those present. It'll make it go a lot faster. It'll be more concise. Um, it'll just, again, move the conversation forward into the into the deeper meaning so that we can come to some form of uh, like an understanding or um, at least using our reasoning to come to a form of understanding. We do have an opportunity for people who may not be a part of the of plan or who can't be a part of plan because they are not pro-life. Uh, if you go to not Spotify, but Spotify for podcasters and look up the plan podcast, you have to include the the in there, right? But the plan podcast, you'll recognize it by I mean, if you're listening here, you'll obviously recognize it uh, by the logo the pink and blue uh, tree of life. And if you go there, you can actually ask a voice message there and we will, we can either, you can give us permission to use your voice or you can say that you just want this addressed within the podcast and we won't play your voice in the episode. And you can ask your questions there. It could be related to fallacies or any other topic and we'd be happy to address them. All right, we do have one last question. Uh, regarding what Andy said earlier about their story and not cutting them off, is there a nicer way to say we don't want to hear it, especially if they are going to go want, uh, to go for five minutes on a monologue? Now, before you answer this, Andy, I do think that we have addressed this in earlier episodes, I believe in our first episode of having the deeper discussions, but we can go ahead and reiterate it right now if if the panel would like to go ahead and expand on that. Yeah. Yeah, I think the best way is just to repeatedly, as they're say, talking, say, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Oh my gosh, shut up. <laughs> no, no it, I... it's it's really going to depend on the situation itself, what's being said, the 
the atmosphere of the conversation and everything. There's a lot of different factors that are going to go into this. The sincerity um, of the person speaking as well. Exactly. Exactly. Um, if they are having a good faith conversation, they've been polite, they're being polite now, then I think it's good to, uh, like I said earlier, let them speak a little bit. If they're just rambling on and on, then we're going to interject and, and try to bring it back to the conversation in a polite way. If they pause, that's a great opportunity to bring it back because you're not cutting them off in mid-sentence. It's really hard to give you just a, a real quick answer on this because it's going to depend on the situation. Yeah, it's going to be use your best judgment. Remain tactful. Use your best judgment in the situation. Gauge. Um, like Andy was saying, if if they're being polite, I mean, the, the polite thing to do, if they're in good faith, the, the polite thing to do is hear the situation and then explain to them your solution, right? Explain to them as to as to why you believe that things should be this way. Um, obviously, you know, if it's if it's going to go for a really long time, just at, at a pause, slip in and say, well, if we could keep it concise, we're on limited time. Um, just there's ways to remain tactful and also say, um, I mean, you could also explain as to why anecdotals don't really hold a whole lot of weight inside of the, the debate or the conversation. Um, and then just try to bring it back into the generalities and, and discuss it in that form in a way that's more concise and maybe doesn't have the emotional plead dragging behind it. Yeah, it's always going to be something that you're going to have to do. You're, you're just going to have to face it to kind of figure out what works best. Um, I still think I try to at least validate something that I agree with, with what they're saying. Like I said, in the previous case of like, if they're talking about their abusive ex or something like that, I try to like, you know, meet them where they are and like, say, I'm sorry for that happening, whatever. If they're just saying, oh, well, you know, I had to have an abortion because I was like, you know, 18 and didn't have money or something, then I might be like, okay, that's stupid. And I might try and move it along, you know, but I try to be as nice as, as I can about it. There's really no like blanket statement that we can say, this is when you have to cut it off. This is what you have to say, because it is going to just depend on so many different varying factors there. So just use your best judgment, try to be as nice as possible, but also definitely like, you know, hold your ground as well. Um, yeah, so Gish Galloping, real quick, because um, someone in the chat brought it up. I think that this is something that we see a lot as well. And this is when we're talking about people going on monologues. What's really happening is they are rattling off multiple points in one long spiel, and they're not allowing you to address every single point. This happens so often. If someone is going off and they're saying, well, it's my body, my choice, and what if the woman is poor, and what if the fetus has a disability, and oh my gosh, what if they're being abused, what if they're 13 years old, what if they were raped, what if it was their uncle who raped them, what if, like, all of these kinds of things, and they're just rattling off point after point after point after point without giving you any break to actually address them, that's called gish galloping, and if they're doing this, that is where I will be a little more firm than I would be with just an anecdotal story. I would definitely say that if they're just rattling off point after point, um, that's when I will interrupt. That's when I will cut them off because it is not going to be conducive to anyone because I'm not, I'm never, ever going to remember everything that they said in order to address every point. And the audience isn't either. So all the audience is going to see from that is um, the pro-choicer rattling off what they think are valid points and the pro-lifer only addressing one of them because that's all the pro-lifer can remember, right? 
So that is something where I would be a little bit more harsh about it. And I would definitely call it out if they are gish galloping and you just have zero time to answer what they're saying. Right. When this happens, you usually end up only addressing either the first thing that they said, because that's what you heard first and that's what you wanted to address, or you end up addressing the last thing that they said, because you don't remember any of the other stuff. Um, So you never touch on any of those other points that they made. And like you said, when this is happening, it's absolutely acceptable to interject. Of course, we always, always want to do things um, in as tactful a manner as we can. But if you if we just interject and say, OK, hold on, like you're making a lot of points right now. They're all important and I want to discuss all of them. If you start listing all of these different things, I'm not going to be able to address all of them because I'm going to forget. So let's talk about all of them, but let's take them one at a time. So what was the first one that you wanted to discuss? Or you can say, so the first one that you mentioned was X, Y, Z. Let's discuss that first. Then we can move on to your next one and we can go through as many of these points as you want to. I just want to take them one at a time. All right. Well, I want to go ahead and take this time to thank all of our guests who have uh, graced uh, graced us with their presence tonight. If you all want to shout out your socials one more time, feel free. Yeah, you can find me at Arnold Dodge One on TikTok. Um, I'm I don't really have a schedule, but if you see me in the live, just pop in. And if you want to ask questions, you can DM me or anything like that. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So my name is Evelyn. I go by Leftist underscore Dropout on TikTok and Instagram. That's where I'm most active. Um, check out my videos. I go live sometimes, um, and I debate abortion. So definitely support me there if you want to hear more from me and my ideas and arguments. And I go by Andy IRL official on social media. So check me out. Also check out at pro-life advocacy network on pretty much all social media as well. Yep. We are on rumble. We are on YouTube. We're, we're pretty much everywhere, anywhere that there's social media, you can probably find us even on X formerly, formerly Twitter. Uh, you can also follow me at Josh codes, IRL, um, on TikTok, It's at Josh codes underscore IRL. We will be here again uh, next week. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave a review, and also rate our podcast. If you, if you please, please take the time. It helps us out so much to be able to increase our reach and to get more people so we can continue to help these discussions be uh, more productive and add some substance to what otherwise would be unproductive conversations so thank you everybody to the guests again appreciate y'all and we will see you next time